So we have a special guest today. We've yes, got, we do. Uh, we've got Matt Best, Logan Stark, and Clint Trial. How are you, buddy? Uh, doing good, man. Doing good. It's good to see all of you guys. Uh, always love coming back here. You guys are uh, awesome friends of mine. And I'm well, glad Clint, to I have show. to say you won the accolade of best actor in the Memorial Day video just with those steely eyes. You just, it's so... Yeah so manly that it just demanded commanded presence in, in that video. So thank you for God. making a cameo. Oh, geez. It's really nice to be sitting next to a Marine in the morning. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So did you, you tell a little bit better? <laughs> did you tell Clint about your uh, Sepper Fidelis commercial Sepper series that you want to make? <laughs> um, you know, uh, Clinton and I, Clinton and I have been um, having a lot of chats lately. Um, a lot of a lot of potentially really big things in the future, um, but we haven't gotten into uh, the recap on the uh, Semper Fidelis series quite yet. Slow. I like the the, yeah. the lovely Alaskan commentary when there's no devices or technology that you can use, and you refer to really bad Marine Corps jokes for hours upon hours. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, mm-hmm. days upon days um, yeah. worth of bad Marine Corps jokes. I, mean, I think they're kind <laughs> well, of we never ending. We were just ending. making fun of Marines pretty much, Clint. So essentially it'd be like, someone's got to suck that dick for chesty. <laughs> Give him one Marine for Corps, chesty. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, but nobody, no, no, nobody has to do that, bro. No, like nobody. No. Somebody does separate Videlis. And it's like. <laughs> Yeah, you we're we're definitely a, a filthy bunch. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. those willing to do what most are unwilling to do are the people that are going to change the planet. Okay, yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, like, somebody's got to stick their dick in that colostomy bag. You know what I'm saying? Separfidelis, <laughs> separfidelis. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure when we were at the the Memorial Day shoot, my dad was there. My dad looked at me and said, "I wish you were more like Clint's son." You joined the army like a bitch, and then you walked yeah. away from me and said that one's for Chesty. So yeah. I get it. You know, you guys are cool. Yeah, I mean, your dad <laughs> just started calling me son. Last week. <laughs> he did, he did. He just what was that? Hey, what was that? <laughs> I don't know. He's wishful like, thinking. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> that's that's wishful thinking right there. He's maybe he just said he just said fuck it at seventy plus years old. What is he? Seventy eight. Yeah. 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 So he's 78 years old. He's like, I'm just going to take the son that I wanted. This he literally, time. Logan was there and he was just like, um, hey, son. It, and out of nowhere. And we were like, that's a little, that's a little weird. But I think he forgot. He might have forgot his name. And so he's just uh, filling it. He's just filling sorry. it with son. <laughs> Solid. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Your dad, uh, is, your dad is one cool cat, Matt. I'll, no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, this. man. Um, I found myself uh, in all the conversations that I've had with him. I, I found him to be much, much cooler than you. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I have some more years, hopefully, to live if I if I keep keep living. So maybe I can level up to him. Totally so, kidding. All man. good. I uh, I do have a story that I want you to tell, um, Clint, before we get into the the other things that we want to talk about. But Clint. 
went to jump school before he was in the military in a foreign country. (laughs) (laughs) You got to like pull the mic in close, buddy. You got to tell that story because it's fucking epic, man. Uh, Which which part of it? (laughs) Yeah. How did you find yourself going to a jump school in a foreign country? Like you, you got to like tell the backstory to that because I was, I was sitting there, blown away and enamored by this story when you were telling me at the ranch. That was over a year ago. You got to yeah, tell everybody I, that story. I think enough time has kind of gone by. You know, it's been decades now, so it doesn't yeah. really matter anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. but for a long time, I was, I was kind of worried about this story. You know, um, it turns out there was absolutely nothing to worry about, uh, but. You know, once upon a time, the, the whole way that I got there was was my old man. My old man was a Marine in Nam. And, uh, you know, he he spent a couple of tours over there, did some some pretty intense fighting. Uh, he's with 2-7. Um, anyways, I, I think after Nam ended, you know, there's a period of time in, in America where, uh, and we'll probably jump into this a little no, later. Just please the, roll with it. Yeah. You know, Nam vets versus our generation yeah. Yeah. Um, of vets. I, I think there's a lot of commonalities, a lot of commonalities, uh, mm-hmm. and per, perhaps now even uh, much more so. But um, getting back on track, I think what, what kind of led me there was my old man just wasn't quite finished yet. Um, and, uh, you know, back then it was, uh, it was a, a totally different world. I mean, as you guys all know, but, um, he used to travel quite a bit after Nam and, uh, he traveled back and forth quite a bit to Central America in places that, you know, most people, um, back then would, would not have, uh, you know, that'd be like going to Afghanistan today because you had some right. wars going on there and people were like, yeah, let's, you know, stay away from that place. Um, but. <laughs> there my old man was like, you know, I'll say every couple of months, but uh, a little more, uh, less often than that. But, you know, making long trips, coming back. And, you know, I remember him coming home and I'd be like, dad, finally, you know, it's been months. Um, so, you know, as I kind of grew up, uh, it, it became inevitable to him that it, college life was probably not going to be in my immediate future. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he, he, he kind of, he kind of um, gave in and said, all right, well, he's going to join the military. I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to stop him. Maybe I can give him a little head start on things, you know? <laughs> so uh, he started dragging me down to Central America um, as a teenager, you know, and, um, you know, been to, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, so you, you know, all over, all over Central America. Um, which you know, looking back on it now, I I, I count those blessings, and, and that's exactly what they were. They were they were blessings because it allowed me to open up my aperture um, and start seeing the world as for what it what it really is not not for not for what it is here in in our little American bubble of goodness, right? Which uh, I'll probably at some point mention that again in some right. of our conversations. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think it, it started to make me grow up in a lot of ways, um, seeing how, how other countries in the world treated their own people, how the people 
treated each other there. Um, and just the overall, um, they do not put uh, a value on life like, like Americans do. And it, and it shows, you know, in most of their day-to-day lives and, and especially how their governments are organized and how those governments treat their people. Um, I know I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but that's kind of what got me um, going down to Central America. You know, my father, uh, he was a single parent, so, you know, um, he did the best he could. And uh, I think... I think looking back now, the, the, uh, the lessons he was trying to give me were, were exactly what I wish I could give, um, my children. Um, but so, you know, fast forward, I'm about 16 years old. And, um, so he takes me down to, um, to Guatemala and, uh, I went through their jump school. He put me through their jump school, um, (laughs) And, you know, so I had to learn all the, you know, jump commands in Spanish. I, I mean, I still know some of them. <laughs> like, so good. Yes, you radios juntos. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, I, I still, it's because it's ingrained in my memory. Yeah. It's no different than, you know, feet and knees together. I mean, you, you right. learned it when you went yeah. to jump school. Nobody's ever going to forget that. It's right. like, it's. It's burned in there. Well, yeah. before I learned it in English, I, I learned it in Spanish, you know, and, <laughs> and um, uh, it definitely helped as I found out later on when I went to like the real jump school here in America. I want to say real, like yeah. our jump school, like it was an absolute breeze. I mean, not that airborne school is, is difficult by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, most of us look at it like it's, it was a, a welcomed vacation, you yeah. know. Like, at least in our era, I feel like back in the day, jump school was like yeah, know, very oh yeah accredited school and challenging. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. I completely agree, Matt. I mean, you know, it, that's that's one of those schools I think that over the years has become absolutely uh, vic- victimed, victimed, and and um, diluted and watered down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah. but yeah. Um, what was your your mindset as a sixteen year old going yeah. through that? Were you just like, oh, oh let's actually, go, or were you was, like uh, a little oh, nervous no, no, no. walking yeah. into that? No, no, no. The, it was it was the absolute time of my life. Man. I mean, <laughs> you know, because I, I think I th- I think a lot of a lot of us, um, and when I say us, I mean I'm, I'm talking about our community of uh, the kind of people. Right, that, that we are, yeah. Um, would would all pretty much agree that, like, yeah, man, if if you could, if I could go back at sixteen years old and go through something like that, every every one of us would have been like, where do I sign? How do I get there? You know, yeah. Send me. I would absolutely love to do that. I mean, it's, <laughs> that that kind of began my my life of of uh, of high adventure, man. Like. You know, what was yeah. the, what was like the reception of the local guys seeing yeah. a sixteen year old <laughs> yeah. widow going through jump school? Were they like receptive and like, oh, come on, crazy kid, let's do it, or were they kind of like, what yeah, the heck I, is going on? I, no, no, I was an absolute, you know, anomaly. It was I was a spectacle for for all of them. But you know, back then, at 16, 17 years old, man, I could I could freaking run circles around around most people. So I mean, I was. 
way too much motivation, not enough thought kind of thing, yeah. you know, uh, uh, just full of, of piss and vinegar and, um, you know, yeah. a, a regular, regular American red-blooded teenage boy, man. I, I, I absolutely craved it and thirsted for it. And it, it, it certainly scratched the edge, but, uh, there were some, there were some extremely funny moments that I, I can recollect from, from, you know, jump school. And one of them that sticks out, I think more than anything was, uh, there was a Colonel's son and, um, you know, I thought I had it bad, not bad, but like, I thought I was young and, and you know, cause I was 16 years old and, uh, well, this Colonel's son was 13. Uh, I think he had just turned 13. So, oh. you know, maybe a day or two after 12 years old. And, uh, you know, on, on the first jump that we actually made, uh, I found this kid <laughs> standing right in front of me, getting, getting JPI'd with these eyeballs, like, you know, the fear of God in, in, in this poor kid. And um, he has no idea what's going on. Oh and God. I never saw him uh, during any of, of the training we had been doing. <laughs> so it, like, it wasn't like his dad sent him to the course and like he learned how to do anything. Uh, he just kind of showed up on the first jump. And the, there I am, man. I'm, I've got a, I got a pretty funny picture of him. Um, but uh, there I am getting ready, you know, standing at the quarter and, and uh, I'm looking beside me and this, this poor kid is just, is shaking in his boots. Anyways, we get on the aircraft. Uh, it was an Arava Israeli made aircraft, which I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but it's the kind that it's, uh, uh, it's got a little uh, ass end that, that pivots on a hinge oh, yeah. and it'll open up. Um, Anyways, you know, it's a good aircraft, but uh, we got on that thing. It came time to jump, and this kid was sitting. He was first, not first out, but he was ahead of me, right? Um, so as we shuffled to the door, we shuffled into the door. He gets to the door, right? And um, he just, you know, I, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen somebody freeze in the door. Uh, this this was worse than that. He, That's he, uh, yeah. To quick pause here. That's how Matt and I actually met. He was a jump refusal in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. So, so yeah. This this was worse than that. I, I mean, um, but it was my first experience ever seeing you know somebody freeze in the door. So I I didn't know any better. But that that kid pretty much uh, said. No, I will not. And I will throw a two-year-old hissy fit right here, right now. <laughs> you cannot get me out. And, and so the Guatemalan jump master just, you know, he kind of gives him one more opportunity. And uh, by this time, he like sitting down. He just straight wow. up flat sat down, put his hands next to the doors like, you can't make me. And, you know, I'm sitting there like, well, yeah, this is, this is not what we planned. But uh, uh, so the jump master... He just, uh, after the second chance, he was like, okay. He grabbed him by the back of his, his chute and lifted this poor kid up and whew, <laughs> oh, <laughs> out the door Bye. he went. Out the door he went. And then the jump master, like, straight up just like, and I'm like, no problem, man. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a very, very interesting uh, experience for me. 
not the only uh, experience I had down there uh, as far as, as doing other things um, and, and other types of training. But, I'm sure uh, that gave you a little bit of what we like to call uh, the vampire effect, where you see someone else younger uh, struggling to do that, and you're like, man, this is awesome. Like, it just makes you want to do it a little bit more, and like his weakness yeah. gives you power. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of that mentality that's like no different, and we probably all have it. Like, how many times right. have you ever been on a hump or a freaking rock run or, or you know, a simple doing a simple PFT, and you either pass somebody... It's like that little feeling, right? Or call, somebody drops out. Somebody drops out, right? Somebody drops yeah, out. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like that, that to me has always given me uh, like a boost in motivation. Like, yep, you're gone, but I'm still here and I'm still kicking. I probably shouldn't be, but but I'm still here. And it, yeah. it always served to, to give me more motivation, you know, albeit at the, the expense of others. But uh I call it the Highlander syndrome. Essentially, you absorb their powers even because they quit. And you're like, and you just absorb it. It makes you stronger. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. That works too. There can be only one. There can (laughs) be only one. Yeah. We've talked about this a lot. Yeah. Where it's just like, you see, I I like it. Or I used to. I don't, I mean, obviously I don't do anything peer driven like that anymore. But God, when you see somebody quitting like an SFAS or one of these other courses, it was like the best fuel you could ever get. It was better than having an extra packet of peanut butter or a hot cup of coffee. It was like, just give me one of these guys to quit. That's all I want. (laughs) Just to know that I'm a little bit stronger. And then everything felt pretty good. It gave you like, gave you kind of like a warm fire on a, on a really cold, chilly night. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be really warm. And I don't know what that is. It'd be interesting to to talk to a psychologist to... There's a spider coming right down here. Um, it'd be interesting to call a psychologist to figure out what that actually is. Because there there is something, and I think with type A's, when you see things like that. And what well, it is, there's is, there's got to be like a competition type piece of you that really, really enjoys seeing people lose when you like to win. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I know well, to your point. Like, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but you know, you're got not. The, nope. Surprise, surprise. No. Uh, you got the fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when you make the decision to fight, the one of the next steps after that is to, if you do succeed after choosing right. to fight, you're like, oh, I'm being successful. So it <laughs> probably, you know, dumps some serotonin into your brain or some chemical release to where after yeah. you start, you know, you're rewarded for the decisions that you make. So right. it empowers you to move forward. I think, I think portions of it too are in, when you're going through a selection process and there's a lot of unknowns about it, you don't necessarily know how hard it's going to get. Right. Especially right. like I'm sure every exercise you do, like when, when you went through rip or rasp, you go to cold range and it's just very like, in intense situation, you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So when people start quitting, I was like, oh, so this is like part of the t- tough part because I just had three dudes quit. And I'm like, I'm still running on a pretty full gas tank right now. I'm not even pretty low. And for me, it was always like, okay, so people are quitting at this level. That means I'm better than most. Right. And so it kind of gave me motivation that like, 
whatever would be thrown at me would be absolutely like manageable because if people are quitting at that level, then cool. We're, we're getting those numbers down to where they need to attract enough people for us to be actually be selected. Right. I and, I, and it's competitive for sure. It's fun to, not fun to watch other people fail, but in, in that context and that environment, it's massively competitive because you are fighting against other peers because let's just say you have a hundred people, they're only going to select, let's say, 40 or less. And if four people quit, well, that's numerically closer to where you need to get to be a closer person to be potentially selected. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, completely, completely valid. I, I like what you said earlier, Evan, about it's, it's a competition. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think driven men and women that have the, the competition bone in them tend to tend to kind of rise mm-hmm. up to the um, to the upper echelons. And I think there's there's a lot of reasons for that. But I, I think through through the course of, of my life, um, and, and certainly during my career in the Marines, I, I came to learn that that the competition, you know, um, ended up not being so much about me against other other peers. Oh other mates, other people that were going through the same thing I was. Rather, the competition is is something that I came to learn is is against my own self, my own thoughts, mm-hmm. my own my own determination, my own the the own my own limits to to where is the end of my willpower? How how will I ever find it? Will I ever find the the absolute extent of where I can take no more. And uh, to me, I think that was, that was always a, a, a very curious thing that, that I had about myself, you know, was how, how far can I be pushed? How, how much can I, you know, take? How much can I endure before, before you break? And well, that yeah. makes sense because you didn't have any peers when you were 16 years old. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Out of That's true. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't help but think about this. Like other 16 year old kids in America, we're going to um, camp, you know, like you had people and I, I'm just throwing this out in a, in a comparison. If you think about, like really rich kids from Manhattan or something like that. And they're going off to camp in upstate New York and they're learning how to, you know, tie a square knot and shoot a bow. And then Clint's in Guatemala going to jump school. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's even in the times. Like look at it now. Most 16 year olds now are, are doing TikTok dances, you know, and, and, the thought of going to South America or said state or country and jumping out of a plane, that is comprehensible to, to what they're going through in life. And it's just, I think it's just kind of a different I, breed, you know? I, I think we need to start our own school like Tim Kennedy and Clint can be the the principal. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and we just and we just teach them like a bunch of mill shit where it's just like, ah, this week we're gonna put you through jump school because you can you can get certified free fall at 16 years old. Yeah. 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 So Clint could be the principal. Yeah. It's and, and that I think that's why that's why I said earlier, you know, my old man gave me some experiences that that I wish I, I, I do. I, I wish I could do similar things for my kids 
But um, it, it, maybe it's my risk tolerance or my threshold right. for, for uh, putting my children in danger like that is probably the number one reason why I wouldn't do that, right? Yeah. Um, but again, different times. We grew up in, in totally different times when, you know, it, it was not uncommon to see, uh, you know, a fire team of five and six-year-olds riding in the back of a pickup truck, you know? Right. I mean, it, you, I saw that all the time living down here. Um, but it's, you know, totally different world, but, um, but yeah, so finding, finding myself in, 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 uh, Guatemalan jump school with the, uh, paracaidistas, it was, uh, it was certainly a surreal experience for me, um, while going through it. Um, the, the, the actual graduation ceremony was, was fairly unique as well. Um, it took me over to where the O club is, you know, this big grass hut and, uh, you know, all the officers and like one or two of the enlisted, you know, because I mean, who, who, who are enlisted guys anyway? Why would right. they go to such an event? They're the lowly enlisted guys, you know, that is kind of how they were down there. Um, but they put a chair up, you know, center stage for me. And I had about uh, 40 or 50 guats, you know, sitting in the audience, uh, just a bunch of chairs. And, uh, they gave me this big mug, right? It's this massive like trophy mug with handles on the both right. sides. And they had a little table next to the chair that I was supposed to stand up on and, you know, give a speech or whatever. And uh, I see them bring this mug over and put it on the table. And I then watched them fill it, you know, a third whiskey, a third beer, and a, and a third of a God knows what else, maybe... Uh, Maybe some kind of, you know, wild Central American freaking Jaguar or something's blood. I don't know. <laughs> but like, it was, it, it was. Uh, Jaguar's blood. I, I'm like, I'm like looking at it. I'm like, they don't mean for me to drink that. Um, so, you know, thinking that that's probably some ceremonial type thing right. or whatever. So I get up on the chair and they bring that thing right over to me. And, you know, the, the translator, the Turk just kind of like, hey, man, uh, there's some inscriptions on, on the side of this. And all you have to do is stand there on that chair, stand up, hold your mug out and read off the inscription or the engraving. And, um, and so I was like, okay, that that's easy enough, but you don't, you don't mean for me to drink this. <laughs> oh yes. Yes. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, senor. Yes. senor. Uh, please. And please drink all uh, very fast. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? So, you know, I, um, I read it off, uh, but just prior to me reading it, um, the, the, like the main black hat, you know, he came over and, uh, he took the gold wings and he dropped them into the mug. And, um, you know, that's, that's when I kind of realized. And, you know, then the Terp came over and he's like, uh, when, when you finish, just grab, grab wings with teeth. I'm like, all right, I see. So I see how this is going, and and I, I got to the very end of it. I, I I chugged it all down, and I kept it all down for about fifteen seconds. <laughs> for about fifteen <laughs> seconds, and I had them in my teeth, and I'm like, yes, and you know, beat my beat my chest, American style, you know, just making a spectacle for for them to witness, like God, this Americans, right? Um, and then it, it just, all of it came up straight up 
straight up Linda Blair, exorcist <laughs> style, like, and all over the front row, man. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it, it landed on them, but certainly the projectile at, at that velocity hitting the deck was enough to create a lot of splatter that, you know, so, so, uh, they, they, they got, uh, doused with some of my puke, but, um, you know, it's a different, a different time, a different world, uh, back then. I, I would imagine it, it has changed there just like it has here, but probably not nearly as, as much. Right. That is the rite of passage at that, that, that age. I love that. Yeah. I like what you said earlier too, about being competitive against your, and kind of selection things. Because I think for a lot of kids, and maybe you can speak to this that maybe listen to the show, they're always curious about selection courses and training in the military. And I've tried to like articulate it, but I don't necessarily know how. But there's a difference between schools that are there to teach you and schools that are there to make you quit. And there's a huge difference in that nice analogy with like Ranger School versus like going to Ranger it's a selection course trying to get you to quit. Whereas Ranger School is like a combat leadership course where they don't want you to quit. They want you to pass to spread that knowledge to your unit or whatever. Like, do you think kind of having that experience at 16 like molded you into this mindset of wanting to join the actual American military and then pursuing um, harder pipelines than the average person? Oh, yeah, with, without, without a doubt. Um, no question, no question about it. I mean, I, I, I grew up as a little kid, like always kind of knowing I, I don't like, I tried to, I tried to think about this one time and, and try to remember back when I first, first knew I wanted to go do Marine shit. Right. And I, I can't, I, I, I feel like it's, it's always been there. And, um, you know, I don't particularly uh, agree with, with, you know, oh, he was born to do that, or like that's what he was born to do. I, I, I think there's, um, I think that's too simple, right? I, I think you become um, a product of your immediate environment, and my immediate environment was, was my old man. You know, um, somebody that had a, a vast experience in in war and combat, and and so I, it's hard for me to remember a time when I did not want to. To be like to be like him, yeah. right? Um, but uh, as as far as the the that helping spur or catapult me um, into uh, what you know my inevitability was 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 a, a career a lifelong career in in the military. It absolutely did. I, I mean, um, and, and and it kind of emboldened. Um, and the intensity and the ferocity by which I pursued it. Uh, because I realized while I was down there that like, I, I truly love doing this shit. Like I, I do. It's, it's, uh, it's something that I've, I've always enjoyed. Uh, I've always looked at it as a challenge. And, um, I, I think I've always been kind of driven, uh, by challenges. I think, you know, challenges are something that like, Ooh, Ooh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I want to get my hands on that. Right. Um, but, you know, going back to like being motivated by, motivated by others when, when they quit, um, I, I will say this. I, I don't, it's, it's not as if, it's not as if I ever would look at somebody that just quit and just be like in total disgust. I, you know, um, cause I, I never 
quite felt that way. I, I always just kind of felt like, okay, well, that person is learning, is learning what is not for him. He's, he's learning what not to do. He's learning that, hey, man, I may have thought that, that this was my path in life, but I just found out, and, and oftentimes in a, in, a, in a somewhat humiliating way, because your peers are going to see it, that, you know, you found out in, a, in, in that way that like, hey, this, this life isn't, isn't for me. And I give no man any, um, I, I, don't, I don't look down on those, those that that happens to, but then they go and pursue something else. Okay. You know, it, because it, they're realizing that that's, that's not what they're about. Um, and for them to hang around and keep going down that route, they've, they've already learned from themselves. Like, Hey, like uh, this isn't, this isn't for me, you know? And they felt strongly enough about it to, to quit. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if you feel strongly enough to quit something, then you should have a hard, hard, hard to, hard to talk with yourself about, about continuing to pursue, you know, that kind of endeavor, that kind of, um, line of work or, you know, um, but, um, but yeah, it, it, the thing I think, you know, you, you mentioned Matt and, and you asked, I, uh, selections, I, certainly, certainly the kind of selections that, uh, that are kind of designed. I, I wouldn't almost, I, I don't know if I would say designed to make you quit rather they are there um, and designed to find out if you will right. quit. Um, uh, and, you know, I know, I know that it's, that's probably splicing words a little bit. Um, but, but um, you know, for, for example, uh, one of the selections that I went through, um, you know, it, and, and many of us have, have gone through it. it they, there is no emotion from your, your cadre mm-hmm. that, you know, once you're there, there, there is no like, Hey man, way to go. Or, Hey man, keep going. Or, Hey man, like, um, there's no feedback w- whatsoever. Right. And, you know, you find out real quick that, that the competition is, it's, it's all up here. Everything is about up, up there. Um, and I kind of had to, put myself into that mindset where I, I did not want, uh, paying attention to my peers and whether or not they quit before I did to be my main mm. driving factor that, you know, the thing that, that drives me, like, I can't wait till somebody else quits. Like, like for me, I think I had, I had gotten to that point, uh, where, where I realized like, yeah, that, that can be beneficial, you know, seeing that can be a boost of motivation but ultimately, what's going to keep one foot going in, in front of the other is, is something much more important mm-hmm. than, than that. And that's, that's digging down deep and keep, keep going. And that's all up here, you know. Um, so the, the battle becomes a, a battle within yourself, I think. Um, Super serious question for you, Clint. 
Yeah. Was it was it the Marine Corps guy slaying the little dragon in the sky? And you're like, all right, I'm a Marine. I'm joining the Marine Corps. Was it always the Marine Corps? I'm like, I mean, obviously it, coming from your heritage with your father uh, being well, a Marine. No, believe it or not, there was uh, there was a time where where um, all I wanted to be in this world was a ranger. Hmm. Um, and then geez, you went. Severely did you wrong. have to yes. say that? Yes, <laughs> I, I did. Um, I don't want to say all I wanted to be. Right. Uh, like I just looked at it as like, okay, I could start there. And then right. maybe after I'm finished with being a ranger, maybe then the Marines will take me. But, you know. Dirty army guy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like a JRTC. You can treat <laughs> yeah. it like that. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, no, I, I, go, ahead. go ahead. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you another thing because you told me this other story about how you had navigated your way through Central America with like a Atlas or some crazy ass like no I'm sorry, map you sheet. Should, say that again, Evan. I, Did, you broke up on I, a little you, bit of it. You have a story about how your dad just gave you a kind of a, a random grid and you had to drive your way through like Guatemala or I, I think it might've been all of Central America. I can't remember the exact story. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. You got to tell yeah. that story too. Well, yeah. So <laughs> without going in, in a way too much detail <laughs> yeah. about it, um, I was going to be taking a couple of other folks down there and uh, you know, um, so it's the way in which we got to Central America that was was uh, extremely interesting. But, you know, a number of other people, meaning about, about 20 or so other grown-ass men that, you know, easily had 15, 20 years on me, you know, and all of them had already had, you know, either retired from the military or, you know, former former paratroopers, former rangers, former SF guys. like, And my old man was like, you're old enough now, son. I want you to lead this and you're going to take and get everybody down to where they need to go. And, uh, you know, obviously it was like, oh yeah, easy day. I've, I've got that. No problem. I mean, it, you know, what full of piss and vinegar teenager wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, like I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to show my old man that I, w I was afraid to do that. So I right. said, absolutely. And I, and I jumped on the task and, uh, but you know, there's those surreal moments that kind of come to you, little epiphanies out of nowhere. And you just kind of ask yourself, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> How did I get here? Right. So a lot of that happened to me on that trip, but, uh, we basically flew into Belize and then took the road from Belize city down through Belmopan and then crossed the border into Guatemala um, on this rickety old shanty thing like a uh, bus. And, um, and so, you know, I, the, there was, we didn't have, I mean, we, there was GPS technology back then, but like none of us had any right. of that shit, you know, it's just wasn't prevalent yeah. yet. So, um, so yeah, I, I navigated us from from Bailey City all the way into uh, some of the different regions of the northern province of Guatemala and through the jungles and um, it, you know that was uh, that was an experience unlike any other. And at every turn of the way, the the 
you know, the 50 questions that were being screamed out and spout out at me from the back of the bus, like, where the fuck are we? <laughs> like, like, was, uh, it, there was, there was a, a bit of pressure. And, uh, I think it was, it was in those moments that my bullshit, um, my ability to bullshit, uh, started kicking into high gear because I really, really was very, very unsure about where we were. But, you know, my dad had taught me how to read a map. And, um, you know, so by the grace of God, we we arrived where we were supposed to. But, uh, you know, not without having gone over like some torrential terrain in the bridges down there, you know, are like seriously nothing but like trees right. and then gravel and rock uh, put over them. So, right. you know, you have no idea. And, you know, these are not like, all right, if the bridge breaks, you know, um, no big deal. We'll, well, somebody will come and, you know, help us out or whatever. It's like, no, man, yeah. there's, there is nobody out here. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the drop, it would instantaneously, you know, kill us all. So, you know, decision points, I call them, you know, for a young man to have to go through, should, should we cross or should we not, you know? Um, and uh, I think I was very, very lucky in a, in a lot of those uh, in a lot of those moments back then. You know, <laughs> I think you've had a significantly different childhood than most people. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a fair statement. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so you joined the yeah. Marine Corps. How old were you when you joined? Uh, well, I was actually I was actually um, you know much older than than the average. Um, is around twenty five, twenty six. Oh. Um, is somewhere in there is when I, you know, joined the, what do they remember the delayed entry program, whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so I didn't go straight into the core like I had wanted to, you know, I had mentioned earlier, my dad was a Marine in Nam and, you know, absolutely loved the Marine Corps, you know, loved to hate the Marine Corps and hated that he loved the Marine Corps. Just like I always say, Marines, we have a love, hate, relationship with the Marine Corps. It's it's ours yes. to love and it's ours to hate. And so help me God, anybody else that's not a Marine talks shit about. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but yeah, it, it absolutely is. It's a two-way street. You hate to love it and you love to hate it. Um, but I, I would never trade uh, one second of, of my time as a Marine. And um, But I started out because, you know, my old man was a Marine and he looked at it like, you know, not for my son. My son is not going to go through that shit. Wow. And his his argument was, was like, look, you need to join the army, okay? You join the army, you'll get paid on time. You'll actually get a paycheck, <laughs> right? You'll actually gain rank, you know, when it's due, right? You, your gear won't be from World War II, which... <laughs> You know, come to find out when I first joined up, I was getting gear from Vietnam. So it's, it hasn't changed, you know, we, right. we sh- still get shit into the stick in a lot of ways on gear. Although I think that's been changing um, in a lot of a better ways, bit. a, a little, little bit, bit. <laughs> right? But um, uh, so, so he convinced me that the right path would be to join the National Guard. And there is, I have absolutely nothing bad to say about the National Guard, man. I, I absolutely don't. But that was not in my cards. Like I, you know, and I didn't really realize it until I spent a little bit of time there. And I did not get out of the National Guard in a very good way. Like 
It was not good. Well, so you I, actually did join the National Guard. I, did, I Yeah, I did. This was right around Desert Storm. And my thought was, oh, like, nice. okay, hey, hey, man, like, it's my turn. There's a war going yeah. on. I need to go. Yeah. It's, I have to go. And, you know, anybody that knew me back then, um, you know, friends I was with, I, I mean, they, they all knew it. But like, you know, anybody asked about me, like, yeah, that dude, that dude's, that dude's, there's only one future for him. And it's, it's going to be either a soldier or a Marine, you know, um, that's just kind of how gung ho I was uh, about all of it. Um, but, um, but yeah, so he, he, he convinced me that that would be the better route. And that's when he came out with like, look, check it out, son. The army has these things called Rangers and they've been around forever. In fact, they were the first ones. And, you know, and so he painted up this beautiful, this beautiful picture uh, about Army Rangers. And, man, I, I remember thinking, wow, that, that's cool. I mean, I had, I had Rangers, you know, posters up, up on my wall uh, as a kid. And, you know, I, I, I totally drank the Kool-Aid. And, and it's a good Kool-Aid to drink because Rangers have a fucking badass totally badass history, uh, you know, and, and if you were to ask me, they are, they are my absolute favorite counterpart to work with. Um, I think I they moved 20 bucks to say all this about Rangers guys, by the way. I, I think we were literally <laughs> talking about this the other day. I agree with you. And I think I was telling you, Evan, I was like, I need to hire more Rangers. Yeah. Like, we've got a few on yeah. the team and like their, their work ethic is. Yeah. So the work ethic is, is absolutely phenomenal. Duh. And it, I think, I think if you, if you just take what we just now said, the work ethic, you know, and then you apply it to the consequences of, of any organization, like you'll see that those organizations absolutely succeed because, you know, the one commonality, um, between, I think all successful people is their work ethic. That's, that's the common thread. You know, it's no different than the self-made billionaire, um, to guys like, to guys like us who, who were able to, you know, kind of rise up and succeed in, 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 uh, in our military. Um, we just didn't get paid like them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. So you, what, what, what made, what made you pivot from having Ranger posters on your wall to being like, this one's for chess. You join the Marine Corps because, you know, you, <laughs> you spent a, a long time in the Marine Corps and so, obviously there was yeah. motivation behind that decision and, and follow through. Yeah. Uh, so I think my first realization was, was not when I went to boot camp and at Sand Hill down at Benning. Um, because I, I went to boot camp after my junior high school because the, the national guard at the time had, had um, this thing called the split option program. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I got a bunch of buddies that have done the same exact thing. There is, there's a crazy amount of Marines that started out in, in the National Guard. It, and I, I can't tell you how many I've come across. Um, and their stories are probably not that dissimilar to mine. But I think my first realization of knowing that I joined the wrong branch, right, was, was after, after my junior high school, I did boot camp down at, at Fort Benning. And I think that was like, what, eight, eight weeks or something like that. And then I went back and I, I finished out my senior year of high school. Right. And then 
when I graduated high school, um, it, you know, I think a few days later, I was, uh, I was hightailing it back to Benning to go through AIT. So my, my boot camp and my AIT were split up by a year mm-hmm. of high school. And my first, iter- my first iteration, you know, that first eight weeks was absolutely phenomenal. I totally lucked out. Like I was in a platoon with uh, a bunch of uh, backcountry kids from Oregon, right? Like mountain boys from Oregon, man. And um, our drill sergeants, right? It's always hard for me to say because I was, yeah, right, right. Um, our drill sergeants at the time were absolutely motivated. Like there was uh, one triple tadger, a triple badger. And um, uh, the heavy was, uh, he was a straight ranger all the way. And that was back in the day where, you know, like rangers, you, you, all you had to do is like, yep, that's a ranger. You could tell, you know, screaming high and stupid, you know, and just fucking looking like absolute, like perfection as far as everything about him, just immaculate everything. And it, this guy was uh, borderline psychotic. I, I, I wish I could find that guy because... Uh, incredible, incredible drill sergeant. Both, all of them were. Um, and it was extremely motivating. It was, it was awesome. It, you know, and then I went back to high school, which I then became, um, a, you know, for lack of a better term, a dickhead in high school because I had just come out of this thing and I was like, yeah, man, I, I got to come back to this shit. Are you kidding me? I, right. I do not want to come back here. Right. And I was ready to move on. And so that probably made me a prick um, in a lot of ways. Um, maybe not mean, but uh, just, you know, I was over high school. I was ready to fucking move on. Anyways, when I came back to Benning um, and went through AIT, that's when I realized, like... What, yeah. what, what was your MOS that you're going through AIT for? Uh, 11, 11 Bravo. Okay, so... Okay. Yeah. Infantry. Yeah. And uh, what I found was... There was a complete shift in in mentality with the drill sergeants. With with, it, it almost seemed as if they had taken all the drill sergeants that were there last time and replaced them with like the bottom of the barrel, mm. bottom of the barrel like type drill sergeants that literally just seemed like they did not give a fuck, and mm. that kind of was my first glimpse into like something's wrong, something's wrong here. And I, and I remember to this day, uh, coming down the steps from our barracks there, uh, I remember thinking to myself, I should have fucking joined the Corps. <laughs> but, but, but no, um, uh, I think those, those were kind of my first moments of realization, you know, that, um, and, and I think, you know, once I make my mind up about something, it, it's, pretty hard to dissuade me after that. Um, so, you know, I got out, I ended up getting out of the national guard in not such a good way, you know, and in order for me to get into the Marine Corps, there was a lot of explaining to do, you know, like (laughs) it was like a lot of explaining to do like, okay, so, so you're telling us that, uh, you hightailed it out of the guard before you were supposed to, you didn't show up for these drills. Like you didn't do this. Stuff. Like, all right. So, but now you want to come over to our blessed core. Like what makes you think we're going to take right. your dumb ass. And so it, it took me, it took me some years to kind of correct, correct that problem. And, uh, you know, during those years, I, I, 
I tried a lot of different things, you know. Um, I ran heavy equipment. I, you know, I trimmed trees. Uh, I, I did, you know, I worked in swanky, like very swanky type joints. Uh, I'd like to keep it clean because I have children. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, uh, yeah, I, I bounced around and tried my hat at just about everything that I could. And the whole while, there was this feeling that, like, none of it is going to scratch the itch. None of it, none of this shit that you are trying to do is, is going to feed this, this freaking, this beast that is, is craving to do something else. And, and I knew what that something else was. I absolutely knew it. And so I think for those years, there in between, I, I was, uh, I was absolutely not being true to myself. Uh, I was kind of lying to myself, like, yeah, I can try this, I can do this, I can try this, I can. And you know, I think the writing was on the wall the whole time. I just chose not to. I just kind of chose not to read it for a while, and then I got to that point where you know, a very good friend of mine, uh, um, a absolute mentor to me, and he always has been. He was uh, Vietnam. Uh, you know, with my dad, uh, or, you know, they saw each other there anyways. Um, and he kind of told me, he's like, Hey, you know, it's uh shit or get off the pot. One or the other, like you need to make a decision. You're, you're almost 26 years old. Like, and, and so that, that absolutely resonated with, with me. And I think, you know, there was some very difficult, um, uh, difficult time. That was a difficult time prior to, prior to joining. Um, but I, I, I kind of, I kind of ultimately made that decision for, for a number of reasons, primarily, um, because I wanted to give, I wanted to give my daughter, uh, Natalie, something to be proud of. And I think me looking back on my life at that point in time, I was struggling to come up with like, Hey, this is this is why your your own child would be proud of you, you know. Right. Um, and and I knew how important that was to me growing up because I was extremely proud of of my father. Um, not everything he did, but like, yeah, you know the the way he loved me and the way he gave me and showed me by example. Um, I I wanted to give that to my to my daughter, and also you know I I also didn't want to grow to become a, a very old man and look at looking back and reflecting on my own life that, Hey, you know, you, uh, you had an opportunity, but you never, you never went with it. You didn't, you didn't do it. And then, you know, living with regret. I, if, if you believe in, if you believe in doing something and, and you want to do it, then, you know, do it. And that way you, you don't have to live with the, uh, God, I wish I would have done that. God, I wish I would have, I wish I would have lived my life like that, you know? Right. And, and so I think those, those primarily were, were the two driving factors, um, that, and, and I, I absolutely had a, a, uh, a lust for it, you know, for that kind of lifestyle. Did you feel like after you made that decision to get into the core, like everything kind of lined up for you, like at all? And it became easy. Oh yeah. It, yeah. I think I had never up into that point. And, you know, we all talk about boot camp, and I, I, 
I love talking about boot camp because it, it always, it, it never fails to, to make me laugh because that is some of the silliest, funniest shit that you will ever see in your lifetime. Marine Corps boot camp, it is a straight <laughs> mind fuck to the highest order. Uh, maybe not to the highest order, but, you know, certainly for when you're at that age going yeah. through and you've never seen shit like that, you know, the things that recruits do, like, is some incredibly funny shit. Um, but, but yeah, I found very early on that like this absolutely is it. This is this is it. I found it. I my search for what the fuck I want to do in this lifetime is over. It, and at least that's that has carried me, you know, uh, and it carried me through through an entire career. With uh, with the Marines. So, so Clint, here's a little intro perspective question for you. We kind of know why you joined. Why why did you keep going and have such a long, successful at the level you did? Because was it service the country? Was it just you loved your yeah. job? Because I think for anybody, especially guys that have served over a decade in in units that require such devotion, um, what what kept what kept you going? Like what what kept you going and wanting to just get back in the fight year after year after year after year? No, that's that's a I think it's a great question, and um, I I don't want to say that that uh, I spent a lot of a lot of my time in the Marines thinking about that. Um, it not until not until after I gotten wounded and had had a lot of time to kind of reflect on my life, like. What in what in the hell was it that kept me in, engaged so strongly engaged um, for all those years? And you know, I had gotten to a point where I was kind of forced to have those discussions just with myself. Like, what what was it that that kept me going? Why you know? And this is an off topic. And if if I stray too far, just bring me back. But I had a. Uh, a, a good friend recently, um, which I'm sure just like all of you over the past couple of days, you, you have friends of yours, like good Americans that have, have probably been getting in touch because they know their friend went and did things that, that they didn't partake in that they didn't do. It doesn't mean they didn't support it, but you know, yeah. Um, so, which is very cool. You've, you've got uh, good Americans out there that, that are reaching out to, to people that they know, did a lot of stuff in that effort. And um, I had one recently, a, a friend reach out and, and say, you know, hey, thinking about you, you know, I can't imagine how horrible uh, you, you must be feeling at this at this point in time. And, you know. Great concern um, this situation going on in Afghanistan, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, uh, and she, you know, said, hey, this, country um owes you a, a great um you know debt or whatever I, I can't remember how it was worded but but uh you know almost immediately i i kind of look at that and i'm like yeah it's not how i feel i i don't i don't feel that way i i i've and i never have i i, I never have felt that way i've always felt if anything the, the exact opposite it, the opposite being like, no, my country doesn't owe me anything. I owe our country. 
I do. It's it's on me. Um, I've always I've always felt that because you know I think those that's one of the things that that my father like stressed on when I was when I was a kid. You know, he stressed on the importance of of and the value of individual liberties and freedoms and why that makes our country so unique in the world and and that it was not it was not it, it cannot be just inherited it it has to be earned you, you have to earn it and you know so having those feelings and thinking that way and having that mindset it was again something that like I try to look back in my life and think when did I start thinking that way and I I don't know that I can remember because I think it was just part of of how my father wove who I am um and again that's one of the things I I'm I'm very grateful uh, about how I was how I was brought up and raised in in certain ways um but um Bring me, bring me back on, uh, did that, no, I'm not sure if that answered the question. Yeah. Bring me dead. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I think there was something else I was going to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. I, you've had, you've had such a long, well, one, you had such a long career and, uh, when you joined the Marine Corps, were you in 0311? Um, no. So when I, when I joined, I went on a, a recon contract. And, oh, you did. Oh, okay. and that was that was when that was when they first opened it up. In fact, uh-huh. that's that's kind of how I, I I got spurred back into like, okay, I'm going to do this. Is because right. that that the ability to do that came came open right? right. Prior to that, like you know, there there was no there was no shortcut, so to speak, into the reconnaissance community, right. like. You, you couldn't do that. The, the Marine Corps right. wouldn't allow for it. I was in a bar one day and I saw a young Marine. Yeah, I Perfect. saw a young Marine come in and he was in his blues. He was in his blues. And first off, I'm like, okay, well, you know, because I had known, known something a, a bit about right. the Corps. And the, what threw me off wasn't that he was in his blues. I mean, that attracts everybody. <laughs> but what threw me off was he was wearing a pair of jump wings. And he was like a Lance Corporal. Right. Or, or a, I think it was either Lance Corporal or Corporal. He was a Lance Corporal because it just did not, it did not make sense to me. I, 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 I remember going over to him in the bar and, you know, introduced myself and I'm like, hey man, you know, how's it going? Little pleasantries back and forth. And I'm like, so tell me about those jump wings. Like how, because I thought he was like, I thought he was wearing some shit that he shouldn't have been wearing. Right. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, I went to, I went to jump school for Benning and, and I'm like, okay, but like, but you're a Lance Corporal. Did you, you must've gotten, did you get busted down? Or, or, I mean, and I think back on it, like the gall that I had to go over and start like <laughs> yeah. asking right. this Marine, like, what the fuck are you wearing? And I'm not, I hadn't even been in the Corps yet. Right. Um, but that's where he, you know, the young Marine kind of explained um, explained like, yeah, I went in on a contract and I basically, you know, after, after recon course, the BRC or ARS, whichever we went through, um, he, he ended up going to jump school and I was like, 
open like recon contract. Whoa. And that's, that's what set the, the gears in motion. And I think it was, it was literally the next day that I was over off of, uh, I think Ingram or wherever it's the, uh, the Marine recruiters station. And I'm like, uh, Hey guys, <laughs> tell me more, yeah. tell me more. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what, uh, that's kind of what, what, what spurred it. Um, or maybe not spurred it, but got things back on track. And, and right. you know, it's kind of cool to say that an encounter in a bar is what right. kind of got my life back, back on track. <laughs> Marine Corps wedding. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, were you, did you participate in both Iraq and Afghanistan? Yeah, I did. I yeah. did. Um, I, I will say, you know, um, it's, it's interesting. All you have to do is, is mention the two countries. And I, I think all of us feel like you could probably just talk forever. Um, yeah. you know, heartaches in, in both, both places. Um, you know, extreme heartache, you know, the kind of heartache that I, I would, you know, I don't wish on other Americans. Um, but I, I do wish, uh, that Americans would, would at least make an attempt to try and understand. Um, but yeah, um, Iraq, uh, in the, in the earlier days of, of the wars and then Afghanistan in the middle and towards the end. Um, and honestly, I, I, if, if you ask me which, which place I'd prefer, um, to fight. And it, this may sound like a very morbid thing. I don't, you know, I, I don't know, but, uh, there was something about Afghanistan that was, um, absolutely intoxicating and, and um, for, for so many different reasons, but, uh, primarily because I think the Afghans have, um, a lot, a lot more fight in them right. than, uh, than in other places in the world. And, and that was, I, I was fortunate enough to bear witness to, to, uh, you know, some, a, a respectable enemy, um, in, in some ways. Right. Um, uh, mm-hmm. and, and in those ways that I did not necessarily see that out of, uh, some of the folks that we fought in Iraq. I, and I don't mean to generalize it, but I, I, I kind of always felt in Iraq, like, you know, uh, like this sleazy feeling like this, where in Afghanistan, um, I don't know, this, this may not be the best thing to say, but I, I felt like I had more respect for our enemy in Afghanistan because of the things that I watched them do. Um, you know, the, 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 the images and kind of, uh, thoughts I think that, that I, I sometimes, sometimes think about, you know, is and you guys have probably all witnessed something similar, but, but, um, you know, that lone last man, you know, that was dug in like a tick into that compound and, you know, slugged it out with us. And he's completely surrounded by, by the most incredible, you know, force on, on the planet, you know, um, and, and I had the uh, 
the fortunate the fortune of of being being able to witness some of these some of these enemies' actions because you know regardless of whether or not they're a bad guy or they're terrorist or whatever when when you watch people do things in their last acts of defiance there's there's a respect in that that I give regardless of what kind of life they've lived whether that be good or evil it's hard not to it's hard not to respect the the um the thing that makes that person knowing that that death is imminent right you know charge out for a final time alone unafraid with a broken fucking infield rifle and and say hey you'll have to fucking kill me and you know being able to see things like that um you know, it changes your it changes your um, changes your scope about about people. It, it gives you a um, I think a deeper understanding of of um, you know the full spectrum of of how people are and uh, how they can be. You know, everything from good to bad to um, you know indifferent. I, I but. Um, yeah, Afghanistan and and what has has gone on there as the whole world watches um, in disgust and rightfully so um, because I I know that I speak for for um, a, a very very large majority of of veterans when I say that um, I'm absolutely appalled and disgusted with. Um, leadership of of our United States government I'm absolutely disgusted and um, I don't think there's ever been a point in my life where I have been so absolutely disgusted with anything with with anything and I I think I think now um, more than ever um, there is this strengthened bond that that is currently being created and that will continue to strengthen between Vietnam veterans and in our generation uh, of veterans those of us that that decided to you know to go and and put some skin in the game um and I, honestly I I um I do not look at this shit that's going on as as um as a loss for us for what for what we did because we did the best that we could with what we had and what we were allowed to fucking do right had we been allowed to do and wage war the way a war should be fucking waged we would have been out of this goddamn mess Years and years ago, it had been over, done with. But the United States has lost its fucking balls in a lot of ways. And it, it pains me and irks me and it freaking kills me to watch that happening, you know. And it's not in slow motion anymore. It's not right. in slow time anymore. It's, it's happening rapidly. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I, I, 
honestly. But they, these are things that that kind of weigh heavily on me. I, well, well Clay, I, I think I think it's great perspective, and I think if you want to open up about that, because I'm sure everybody at the table is is has been in that country here, and I've been getting a lot of feedback from people that kind of don't know how to internalize and think through the reality of the situation that's going on that have lost countless numbers of friends, um, you know, injuries, time away from their family, fighting a war. And then you're at this kind of precipice of for what? So I think kind of working through that could be very helpful for some people, to be honest with you. And I don't necessarily have the answers myself. And I think that question's for everybody here to include you. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, um, I think it's it's a it's a hard one to um, to vocalize and articulate in, in, a, in a way that um, would be all encompassing and and deliver a message that that a wide audience can uh, easily digest, you know. But when I look at it, like I was saying, I I don't think this should ever be viewed as a loss. Uh, on the side of those who chose to go and, and fight, I, I, I believe that to my core. I, I also believe to my core that if if we choose to point our fingers, if we choose to point our fingers at at someone to blame, then this marine blames it straight on the shoulders of politicians and the millions. And millions and millions of Americans who sat idly by on the sidelines, right? Pretending, pretending for the past 20 years, like, like we weren't fighting wars on multiple fronts mm-hmm. throughout the globe, right? Sat idly by watching reality TV, the Kardashians. And, you know, it it's it's something that that I felt like I had come to grips with, right, at a certain point because, you know, around 2014, 2015, I my circle, my circle had had become so narrow in scope as as to far as far as who I even would allow myself to talk to or to talk to me. I I I kept everything at bay except for the people that I knew were doing what I was doing. And as you guys know, that, that is, it's a small circle. It's a very small circle. Um, but you know, I, I think that, that, that blame it's, that's, that's where I, I would point my finger and, it's it's not me wanting to blame somebody, you know. Um, it's it's just hey, um, it's a shit sandwich. It's an absolute shit sandwich, and I think those people who either made horrible decisions along the way in the political arena, or those people that decided they were going to pretend like we weren't out fighting wars on multiple fronts, like they can fucking choke on it. All of them, every fucking one of them, they can fucking choke on it. They, they can eat the shit sandwich and you know what? They're going to eat. They're finding out right now, like, holy shit, this is a shit. It's a total shit sandwich. 
You know what? But, but they won't choke on it. They won't swallow it. They'll fucking spit it out. And you know what will happen in another two years? They're going to come buy another shit sandwich. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to fucking pick it up. They're going to be like, ooh, ah, ooh, wow. This could be really yummy. Hey, let's take a bite of this shit, right? And to me, that's, that's, that's kind of how I see what American policy and, and politicians have been doing with our country, you know, my whole adult life. And, and you know, I, it's, it's one of those things that would segue me into a, um, a, a different conversation. But um, I hope that um, our nation um, pulls their fucking head out of their ass and finally starts to at least pay attention to history. Um, Because from the get-go, history told us, history freaking told us, like, hey, this isn't going to work. Not if you do it this way. But we failed our political leaders failed to learn or to educate themselves on the history of that part of the world. And, you know, and anyways, I, I mean, to get dark on you guys, um, but uh, no, I, I, th- no, I think that's, I think that's exactly what a lot of people are thinking because, you know, I've received uh, probably a hundred messages in the last couple of days just watching this uh yeah. i was on fox this morning talking about this i've been thinking about it uh pretty much non-stop since uh since the withdrawal basically was you know announced and so you know i'll echo a lot of the same things that that you're saying which is i think the veterans out there that have served in afghanistan and iraq uh you've got you've got a You've got to be proud of your service. This is not on you. Like it is not on you. It is something that you have to be proud of. You have to carry yourself with dignity. You have to lead in a way that's maintaining positive psychology uh, because it's not on you. It's, you know, it is the, uh, you know, it's my opinion, right? So this is just my stupid fucking opinion from one guy is that Clint's right. The failure of, I think, our political and elected officials, uh, and then I would say a lot of the Pentagon to understand history in Afghanistan. This is not a new thing. Like Genghis Khan, this goes back to fucking Genghis Khan, for Christ's sake. This is the British, this is the Soviets, this is hundreds, if not thousands, of years of warfare that we could have opened up a book and looked at it. But what you had is you had a group of people that were full of, uh, I would say, self-righteous hubris that continued to fail the American warfighter year after year after year. And we saw it. We saw it overseas on a constant basis, which was attorneys were involved in our ROE. Mm -hmm. Oh, who the fuck is an attorney to tell me who the fuck I should be able to shoot or blow up? It's like the American warfighter understands exactly who they need to pursue and how they need to pursue it. The Pentagon 
has just as much to blame with this. So if I, I will point fingers, I don't give a fuck. I'll point fingers all day long, which was, I called it in 2012 when I was over there sitting at a group of people with a group of people in a conference room and they were all sucking each other's dicks about how fucking great they were and how competent all of our Afghani counterparts were and how, how much of a success it was going to be if we withdrew or downsized the American military presence. And I was like, you guys are fucking crazy. This thing is going to collapse like a dying star. We could see the conventional Afghan military and how capable they were. And I could also see the special operations component of our counterparts and how, how much fucking work they had on a regular basis, how active we were on the advisor front and how blatantly incompetent the polit- political elite how they actually understood what was happening. So what was happening across the border in Pakistan? Who was holding Pakistan accountable for their bullshit for 20 years? Their complacency and their lack of ability to hold people accountable, administration after administration, asking for honest answers from the military. They were getting it, by the way. You know it and I know it. You know, and and I was talking about this with a a mutual friend of ours yesterday about how many guys were turning in reports from, you know, the lower level expecting people or inflating the effectiveness of what they were doing because they wanted to get on the executive, you know, the executive read, the brief, right? They were inflating reports. They were talking about how great their assets were. They were talking about how great their... Their, their counterparts were conducting warfare. There was zero doubt in my mind. Without air support and military special operations advisors in that thing, it would fold like a house of cards. Yeah, and zero infla- inflating body count wasn't something that was just specific to Vietnam. Right. Like, yeah, that, that shit absolutely did happen. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it, we, don't, we don't own the responsibility of of a lot of those shortcomings. Um, I'm not saying we, you know, we don't, but it, we haven't learned that we haven't learned from that. <laughs> so we haven't learned from it. Uh, and I think when we, when we look at the totality of this and we look at how much effort, energy, sacrifice has been gone, that has gone into the last 20 years, we went in with the best of intention. Uh, where we went astray is when we allowed, and wait, wait, say we, we didn't have anything to do with it. When the political correct portions of our government decided they could manage a politically correct war in Afghanistan, we lost. As soon as they put Islamic Republic of Afghanistan into the constitution, we lost. Like that, that when I say we lost, it's not we, we didn't lose shit. Like the American service like member, the guy that went out there and fought his ass off every day. They won and they should fucking hold their head up with a lot of pride. Where we were failed is within the State Department, the Pentagon, and administration after administration that continued to do the same shit over and over again. When we started reoccupying Soviet fucking fire bases, that to me early on, it's like, well, the Soviets fucking lost. So why are we, 
<laughs> why are we continuing to do the same thing that they were doing? And it, even as we start to look at the entirety of the history, I guess we'd have to unpack that for a few few hours. But you're right. The problem is, is that Ameri- the American citizens are not expecting more from their political elite and they're not being held accountable. The thing that I would love to be able to see is people being fired and people resigning over this complete shit sandwich. The big things that I'm looking at from my perspective is you have the special immigrant visas, the the SIVs for interpreters, for our counterparts that have continued to apply. They're 18 to 20,000 back, uh, you know, in applications. They've got They've been able to process a thousand of those in like six months. They have 18,000 to get through. So we've known about this for months. We've known that this could be a possibility. There's just no possible way this wasn't briefed by sections of the intelligence community that this was a possible outcome. And they decided to drag their feet. And so now you have a bunch of people that are going to be targeted specifically by the Taliban because of their help to the American service member for two decades, not only them, they're going to be targeted. Their families are going to be targeted. These people are going to be pursued. They're going to be executed. They're going to be put in fucking prison and re-education camps. You name it. The reality of that is, is that every one of these idiots that has had a decision in this over the last 20 years has blood on their hands. Every one of them. The other piece to this was, This was a fucking possibility from the beginning. And you can't tell me that we didn't have time to prepare the VA and the psychological service support mechanism in the United States knowing that this could be a possible outcome. And we have to make sure that the guys that have served this know that they served with dignity, that they served with fucking pride and the utmost respect. And then if they see this happening, that we have to go to work making sure that those guys are protected as well physically and psychologically protected. So when we look at the two big failures here, it's like the failure to protect the people that have protected us downrange. Yeah. And the failure to prepare for the psychological effects of what could look like failure to some. And they didn't do that. And those motherfuckers need to own it. That's the thing that they need to own. And the only way we're going to do that is by one telling them that they fucking own it and bouncing their ass out of office. Like, get them the fuck out. Like, these woke fucking generals and their bullshit about all this garbage they've been talking about fucking at the Hill. Like, oh, we need, you know, more socialist beliefs or whatever the fuck. And this is where I'm going to go down the rabbit hole. Send but it. Who, who's going to fire him, Evan? Yeah, nobody. Nobody. Nobody, Clint. So, Nobody's going to yeah. fire him. You know, these guys are talking about, you know, critical race theory and, you know, trying to, re- trying to recruit more, more people that have, you know, mixed emotions about their sexual identity. You know what these motherfuckers should have been doing? Maybe trying to prepare an exit strategy because piss poor performance. What is it? Prior planning prevents piss poor performance, right? Proper Maybe planning. you should have been more busy fucking preparing an exit strategy and making sure that our counterparts were protected and weren't going to get their fucking heads lopped off in the streets of Kabul and Mazar and fucking Herat and everywhere else. Maybe you should have been more concerned with that than trying to fucking put lipstick on and placate a fucking administration that doesn't know whether or not they should be male or female based on the fucking day of the week 
And then trying to figure, more trying to figure out which shitter to use. Like, are yeah. you fucking kidding me? Are you <laughs> well, fucking well, kidding not, me? Yeah, and not only that, but accepting the fact that we're turning over billions of dollars worth billions. of fucking arms. arms to the Taliban. And then we can't even invest in a fucking domestic system built to support veterans and run it properly. Like, the ineptitude across the board in this shit is fucking terrible. And what I hope... The silver lining in this is that the GWAT veteran and this community comes together and makes her fucking voice heard. And dude, we can do everything in our power so this shit doesn't fucking happen again. Because we have people that can't get fucking prosthetics, but then we're turning billions of dollars over to the fucking Taliban with no recourse, no exit strategy, and then leaving our fucking interpreters, commandos that have active visas. I know two people, we just got one out today, my buddy did, but like an active visa sitting at the airport is like, I'm going to get executed. If I can't get out in the next couple of days, I'm getting tied up and shot in the fucking head. Like, and you're, you're just sitting there like, this is the fucking dude that dedicated and fought wars side by side by American unconventional forces for like fucking 15 years. And we're just going to be like, later, bro. Fuck out of here, dude. Like, fuck out of here. But it's yeah. like, what do you, like, we have to be heard. Like, because it's just going to brush over and the same shit's going to happen to future generations. It's unacceptable. The, this, the scary thing, I think, is, is we have the ability to do that. We, we absolutely do have the ability to do that. You know, hardcore lessons learned and apply, execute that shit. What scares me more than anything isn't what has already happened. It's what yeah. is going to fucking happen if we don't pull our heads out of our asses. And I say we, I'm primarily talking about fucking bozos up on DC's Capitol Hill. That whole place, it's, it's, it's not a swamp. It's a fucking sewer. It's a sewer. Yeah. And it, what my concern, those things that are about to happen, well, what happens in the void? What happens? Yeah, right. Taliban are going to take over and they're going to run the country. Yeah, I. Yeah. What? 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 What about China now? Yeah. Right. What? What is China doing when they look at the situation that we allowed mm. to unfold? And I say we. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. right? How are they looking at it? And I guarantee you, as an opportunity, it, it doesn't zone, align yeah. with it or, doesn't align with American interest. No, I it's guarantee an you that hundred yeah. percent. Well, their embassies are open, guys. Just so yeah. you know, yeah, no, uh, yeah. Russian and the Chinese embassy both yeah. in Kabul are still open. Just, just, just for context, they're still fucking open. So if we think that this is like just the Taliban, if we think yes, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan only affects the Afghani's and it's only about them. No, it's not, and. If we think for one second, to Clint's point, if these people don't start turning the fucking Kardashians off in this country and start paying attention to what's happening overseas, one of these assholes overseas that, like, the Chinese or the Russians, like, like, take your fucking pick. They're going to stuff us like a fucking turkey on the international stage. And if we don't fucking vote these dumb motherfuckers out, they're elderly, incompetent, greedy, and they're, they're the ones that are continuing to fuck this entire thing up. And if they don't focus, if we don't focus as a nation and start electing you know, guys like 
it, this is a stump for Joe, you know, Joe Kent. If we don't start electing guys like Joe, electing guys like Crenshaw, electing people like Tulsi that have actually understood the consequences of war and what's happening on the veteran fucking community, that they have a representative voice that is representing all of us as the entirety of the veteran community, we are going to find ourselves in a situation where the Chinese and the Russians are going to hand us our ass. And like all of us can say it. We can all kind of raise the flags. And we have been for fucking, by the way, you know, Clint, you know this. We've been saying this for fucking 20 years, which is if we do not keep our eye on the real strategic threat, if we don't wake the fuck up and stop like pretending that, you know, whether you identify as a fucking dolphin or a gator or all this other culture war horse shit that people are talking about and whether or not it's, it's an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old that should be able to identify as whatever. Dude, if these people do not fucking wake up, there will be no democracy or democratic republic of the United States. Like they need to wake up because China has a 50-year plan. And it doesn't fucking, it doesn't have anything to do with, uh, you know, the type of flag that you put in your front yard that is not the American flag. It has everything to do with the Chinese Communist Party. It has everything to do with socialism. It has everything to do with communism. Um, I just, I, I, I hear all of that and I, I 100% agree. And, um, you know, these are things that um, most of us are, are, are very passionate about in our lives um, because we do have a love for our country. We absolutely do. And, and the idea is that it was founded upon. Um, and while that may be a bit different for everyone, uh, they, they may see the beauty in, the, in our founding in different ways. For me, the, the beauty is that it was based on individual the cornerstone is individual liberty right right individual liberty and to your point evan if um if if we do not take drastic action to rectify to course correct the path that we are on like i've got news for all of you americans that chose to sit out these past 20 years you will not have the fucking freedom that you have right now to do anything. And you can already see it. Can see you can it. already fucking see it. If you don't see it, then you're probably the fucking sheep that I'm talking about. You pay no attention to anything that's going on around you. All you do is fucking follow the goddamn sheep around. And you fucking pick up little 15-second blurbs that other people type about and you say, oh, yep, that's gospel, that's truth. I guess I'll have to wear fucking five goddamn masks in front of my face. Yeah, you're the problem. And if you people, the people I'm talking about, you guys know who I'm talking about, those that are disengaged from everything and believe that they are entitled to all of it and that they don't believe they have to give anything back, they're, they're the problem. Mm. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's, it's like you don't have the right to do exactly that. You do. You have the right to be a fucking shitbag here in America. And while I don't agree with living my life 
like a shit bag. And I certainly don't want to fucking hang around other shit bags. That is your right. That that is. And it is one of the it is one of the things about America that I think makes it such a special place. If you choose to live your life in a certain way that does not align with mine, I don't care. I don't care. You have the liberty and freedom to live your life however you want, so long as you don't tread here. As long as you do not infringe upon my rights and my individual liberties and freedoms to be able to not only carry myself around day to day, but how I raise my children, how I run my family. Those are those belong to me. Those decisions belong to me, not to some government bureaucrat. Those people work for us. They work for us. We don't work for them and we're goddamn sure not their fucking subjects. And I don't know. I, I think my hope is that here in the near future, some of those people start waking up. And I hope to God some of them are a little afraid. I, I do. Because that'll mean that they're starting to realize, like, you, you, you're starting to go down a route where if you keep going, and we talked about this, right? you keep going down that route, that pendulum, it's, it's not going to swing back. Right. It's, it's not going to bounce back the other way because it has gained enough momentum to keep going. And what happens when you get into a flat spin, you know, on a free fall, you start turning and you don't correct it. Like you don't correct it. What happens? You just keep going faster and faster. And the next thing you know, you are, you are down the road on a level of extremism that history has shown over time, over time and over history has shown us if you don't course correct that shit, we are going towards a place where we're going to have a, a fucking genocide amongst each other. Mm-hmm. And anyways, that, no, I, I, I get. I think you're is. spot on. I think that people, if they cherish individual liberty and freedom, it's impossible for them to forfeit those things. And yeah, when they forfeit them to uh, incompetent bureaucrats, if the last two years has not shown us so many examples, the political elites do not have our best interest in, in mind. They have their best interest in mind. They make horrible policy decisions that affect our individual lives on a regular basis. And they continue to do that. We can't continue to forfeit our liberty to idiots. Like that's just the bottom line. For me, I look at it, I'm like, gosh, guys, this is so easy. You can look at the template over there in Afghanistan and say, okay, Taliban is what? It's it's Islamic education. It's Sharia law. It's a very tightly controlled fascist or uh, ideological dictatorship. We don't want that here. That's, that's yeah. directly contradictory to anything that we believe in. This is not the, the path to freedom and the path to success is not through more 
government controls, forfeit, the forfeiture of individual liberty. The forfeiture of individual liberty and then allowing bureaucrats, to your point, to control our destiny. Yeah, but all and, they do is they project that under a narrative of safety, right? That's what yeah. the government does. I'm here to keep you safe, mm -hmm. right? And that's it's, the antithesis of what individual liberty looks like. It's mm -hmm. we the people and we, we the people keep each other safe, right? So, but that's what happens is you like to Clint's point was going on with mask mandates, making, you know, four-year-old kids who essentially their death rate from flu is way higher than COVID. And we're not basing any of this in science, but it's just saying like, We'll keep you safe. Just, just give us a little more. Let's start getting yeah. mandatory vaccines. Let's, and it's just, it's fucking insane. And people, to your point, Clint, are just acting like sheep and like, well, I don't really want to do the hard work or complain. So I guess I'll just go do it. And, and where does that go? It's fucking terrifying. Everything we know as a country, like, could go away. That's a fucking, that's real. I sound like a tin hat wearer, but yeah. that's real. That's fucking real. You know, the government gives a fuck about any of us that care about our liberties. Look at what you look, look we're just talking about Afghanistan. That's how that was handled. Are you fucking kidding me? Not tinfoil hat wearing at all, Matt. No. That's, no, that's, called, it's a that's called being reality. a reality. That's called being a realist. That's called somebody fucking that understands how the fucking world works. And everyone here, every I will say everyone, right? So many Americans take it for granted. Yes. So many Americans yeah. never pause for a moment out of their whole life to recognize just how incredibly awesome our country is. That's how you can think been. a veteran for their service is maintaining the sanctuary of freedom in America. Cause it's not about the GWAT generation. It's not about the Vietnam generation. It's about every fucking generation yeah. since the inception of this country that fought, bled and fucking died for the very individual freedoms that we have today. And if we let people chip away the stone of freedom, it's going to look real fucking flat very soon. Hey, and the, the torch gets passed, right? It it gets passed. And it'll come to us, right? It'll it'll come that that torch, we've been carrying that torch and we're already there. Like and I feel like all the time I'm I'm holding the torch out to the younger guys. And it's awesome when when you see the younger generation, you know, because we talk in generalities, yeah, younger generation, this, the younger generation, that, but like, there's still that, there is still that, that hardcore inner wire, that hot wire that keeps it burning, you know, that, that keeps it driving. They are the ones, those youngsters right now, right? And I hope some of them are listening. Like, I, I, I hope they're listening. And I hope they receive this message that take, take it, take the torch and, and drive on. And then when it comes your time, you pass it on. Keep the fire burning. Because when it goes out, when it goes out, like, I don't know about you, but I, I don't, I don't want to live in darkness. I, no. I don't, I don't like the idea of living in darkness and, um, you know, so I have an immense amount of pride for, for the young, younger generations that have already made the choice to go that direction. And, and for those who haven't yet and are thinking about it, I would say that um, there is very few things in life that, that could reach the amount of, uh, or the level of, of, 
of pride in in your country than you know serving serving in, in the U.S. Armed Forces. Uh, it's it's something that you you know whether you do for four years or, or uh, you know an entire twenty plus career, thirty year career, like those are that's that's something that will stay with you forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue and say. It, it's best to not let that define you and define your life, right? Um, but it, it is it is a powerful, powerful thing, um, you know, taking the initiative to go and and put your skin in the game, you know, to earn your freedom. And that's how I've always looked at it. It is like how how am I going to feel with myself, enjoying all these liberties and freedoms that that generations. For hundreds of years since we have been our country, how am I going to feel if if I never pay it forward? If right. if I never pay it forward, what kind of what kind of person does that make me? Feel? I mean, what kind of person does do I see myself as? And I could never um, I could never just quite allow myself to. To do otherwise, and you know, it's this isn't me saying, "Hey, get out there and you have to join the mil- military in order to in order to feel that sense of pride and and a and um, love for your country." There's, and we were talking about this yesterday. There's there's, right. there's thousands of different ways to serve your country, and I just wish like Step one, all, don't vote for people who have socialistic uh, viewpoints. Maybe that that's a way you can serve your country. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, a- absolutely. I, it's a dark road and it goes nowhere. Goes um, nowhere. Well, Clint. Yeah. Sorry. Dude, thank uh, to you. Ramble. Now, this is <laughs> this has been a really good episode. I think that uh, I think a lot of people will take a lot out of that. Um, you know, uh, I think you know the amount of time that we've we've spent talking just offline. You know, I've been trying to get Clint on the show for over a year. He always has way fucking cooler stuff to do. But uh, yeah, I know. No, I. <laughs> I think I thank you, man, for everything you've done, uh, for what you continue to do, uh, you know, and, and know that the guys here at the company, like company wide, man, we have a ton of respect for you and all the people that you've served with, like across the board. Um, you've you've given an incredible amount. Likewise, brother. Um, it's it's both ways. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um, I couldn't be happier to associate myself with, with, um, I couldn't be happier to associate myself with a company like this. Um, I, I absolutely wholeheartedly believe in, in, um, uh, the company itself, Black Rifle and what you guys have built and the culture, um, that, that you, that has come with it. And, um, I look forward to, to seeing all of his successes in the future. Thanks, Clint. It's an honor, man.